Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, it's Lainey. Thanks for joining us again, and we are back live at the PLA conference in Nashville and now we're back with another interview and today we're happy to welcome back she's just a pro at this she's been here before (laughs) but we're welcoming back Mary Atkins hi happy to be here yay so a little bit about you before we get into the book and your first book which I could talk about forever (laughs) but we won't Um, so Mary Atkins is a writer whose work has appeared in the New York Times and the Atlantic she's a native of the South and graduated from Duke University and Yale Law School and teaches storytelling for the moth. So a little bit about you and when you read this was your debut novel that came out February 2019. Just a year ago. It blew up around the office. Like, we were so excited about it, and it's such a cool... Again, this is not about that book I could talk about. I whole another, And we did. So go check out um, the podcast episode that you did with your editor, Emily Griffin. That is really wonderful, because you guys get really into process and how you did it, because it's a very unique type of book. Yeah, it's a pistillary and movie. Right. It's basically told through, primarily through email. Right. Yeah. yeah, or you get the, like, pizza delivery, too, which right, is fun. Right. <laughs> Uh, so your second book, Privilege, is coming out March 10th, so we're very close to that as of this recording, um, and it's set on the fictional, historic, prestigious college campus of Carter University, which is the Harvard of the South in this story. Um, so three young women um, realize that underneath this like really perfect campus lies a lot of problems with the justice system when they, when they encounter um, an instance of sexual assault that happens. So you have three women, young women, Annie, B, and Stasia. So Annie is from Georgia. She is kind of like big fish in her small city, and now she's on this big campus, and uh, she's kind of overcoming her own issues and finding herself. And then B is biracial. She's from the North, but she's really interested in the justice program that is at the college. And then Stasia is really interesting because she's not a student at all. She just works on campus at the Coffee Bean. And I think it's so fun to see all of them intertwine. And as this kind of third looming person, Tyler, who unfortunately has I guess contributed to this a sexual assault like he's in the background and they all kind of have their own relationships with him but before I get too much I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the story and maybe like how how this idea became your novel yeah sure so I went to law school yeah and in law school um, I took criminal law required class in law school and I was really interested in how different states define define rape and mm-hmm. other kinds of sexual assault. And so that, that seed had been planted 
years, I mean, years right. ago, after, by the time I left law school, I was really interested in that conceptually as an idea, mm-hmm. as a topic. And I was also really interested in the different ways that, um, that women especially deal with the, the perceived threat of sexual assault, right. the subtle kind of invisible ways that it informs behavior. So I, I wrote an article for The Atlantic online in maybe 2014, 2013, around the idea of someone consenting to some kind of sexual act because they didn't want it to be a violation and therefore a victim. So to avoid becoming a victim and to avoid a violation happening, they just decide to not let it become one. Like I was really interested in that idea. So part of this novel, I think, came out of that fascination, kind of wanting to fictionalize that experience. But also, I was also really interested in how campuses deal with sexual assault, because that has changed so much since I was in college in the very early 2000s, and even since I started writing this book, it's changed. Yeah. I mean, it's just like very much in flux, and yeah. and like it's it's a thorny dish. Like it's it's hard. It's complicated, and like you know, universities aren't courts of law. They aren't. I mean, and they 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 kind of have to be. Like right, they have to have these judi- judicial systems. But the way that they approach dealing with these situations is it's really complicated and I think there are a lot of there, there's so many things to consider that of course they're going to you know in some ways do a poor job of it and in other ways do the best they can so I was interested in that and then finally I was also interested in how we believe the people in our lives and how we have an incentive to believe the people in our lives and how we're able to forgive people when we know them well. And so I wanted to tell a story of a sexual assault from, from three women's perspectives. That was important to me, mm-hmm. um, that it be only from their perspectives, but also from the perspectives of three women who had incentives to believe different versions of the story. That's interesting. And I had written that question down, actually, like, why why only women and why is that important? Is it because we already have the male perspective? Yeah, I think, well, I think that was the most accessible to me as an, you know, as the author, as a woman. And I, I did feel like it was an undertold story. You know, not only the, the victim's perspective of kind of trying to sort through what happened, but also the perspectives of these other women involved and how they dealt with their conflicting emotions around the whole situation. Right. It wasn't something I had read before. Yeah, true. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, it's important. What happens is important because that obviously sets up for a lot of the language of like how people respond to it or how people decide if it was a problem or not. But in a way, it doesn't really matter. Like, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it happens a lot. Yeah. And so... You kind of need what happens, but really, I don't know if his story is adding anything that's his important in this story. Yeah. Yeah. So I get why you did it that way. Yeah, and actually, I take that back. I played around with adding oh, his really? adding his voice, um, 
And I, I found that it didn't seem to justify an entirely right. new point of view character. Yeah. yeah. I think that a point you were making, which is so true, is that like if you know people, it's a little easier to say, like, oh, I know them, they would never do that. And you do a really good job of showing him pretty like as a dynamic character because each of these girls know him a certain way so like Annie it's happening to her unfortunately and so she's going through kind of as in conflict with him and also a really great job showing like what consent is it's hard it's hard to describe and to define it and I think that's what stood out to me the most in reading it that feeling of like you can't really describe Mm -hmm. what it is and I guess that's part of the problem. <laughs> um, but then you have like B, who becomes his kind of social justice, I don't know, war- warrior. Like she's on his side, but kind of has to be on his side. It's not yeah. like she chose it. She's his assigned advocate. Right. So she has no choice but to, I mean, that's her role. Yeah. yeah. It's like part of her program. She's in the justice program. Right. Her job is to be an advocate to any student she's assigned and she's assigned Tyler so she's just doing what she you know has been told to do and what she believes in because she's she's really into the idea of of justice and representation she's kind of forced to look on his good side because what are you going to say right no, I think he should be <laughs> punished. Yeah. Um, but then Stasia like knows him just like as a third party, and so I find it just so interesting to think of it that way. Yeah, you're so good because at this in your first book because it is epistolary but making like the digital realm come into all of your storytelling, and this you know is not in the same way at all. The first one was all digital. But this one has um, a really fun, like, anonymous campus columnist. (laughs) I think, um, what I wrote down, Irreverent Rooster, which makes me laugh. So, like, the first page, you know, it's like a welcome to Carter, 10 pieces of advice for first years. And so I just, like, the lists were really funny. So, like, um, telling them about the the gargoyles and fun Mm -hmm. things. But it kind of, it's an interesting way to weave in what's going on in campus and um, and you have like a glossary of all of these different things they write about so what are you allowed to do with someone who maybe is anonymous or like a column that you couldn't do if, it, if the characters were saying it oh that's fun. that's a fun question yeah yeah I want I wanted to do something because um, I really I loved and when you read this my last novel playing around with with form and using different kinds of found documents Mm -hmm. or like digital documents to tell a story and so I wanted to incorporate some of that here but I wasn't quite sure how I played around with um like I had an orientation schedule, like you know, college, right. college documents. I'm getting shivers just thinking about it. like orientation. <laughs> yeah, I had the whole orientation, the whole weekend written out, and that was that was in there at the beginning of the novel at one point in a draft. But I think the the tone of that was, you know, it was a college orientation schedule. Like it, right. it wasn't as much fun as they're allowed to say what they want a little bit more maybe yeah Yeah. and I I actually remembered I I thought well the orientation schedule isn't working and I I think my editor agreed and so I I was um I remembered at some point that when I was in college when I was at Duke and 
early 2000s, um, there was an anonymous humor columnist. Mm. And so I just, you know, we did have the internet back then. <laughs> it wasn't that old. So I looked it up and it's still there. And I read right. these, like, you know, That's these. Really and actually, I think it's still it still exists. I'm not sure in the same form, but and they're anonymous still. Like it's yeah, anonymous. Really and then at the end of the semester, the the identity That's is really revealed. Cool. And I thought, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that convention mm-hmm. because it was such a fun. It was like every Monday, yeah. the the anonymous humor column came out. So I I didn't come up with that idea. I took that from Duke. I thought it was a great way to kind of show the flavor of campus and give context to the story. So here's what's happening around these these women as all this is taking place. Yeah. So I think that this is definitely an adult book, but there's a lot of like YA young adult crossover audience because it is on this college campus. And I think um, they're talking a lot about this. So what do you think a conversation between a younger person reading this and an older person reading this, like what would that look like? And what do you think they can maybe bring to the table that each other couldn't? That's such an interesting question. Well, one thing I did as I was writing this was I had uh, I had current some current college students read it, um, and oh, some really? recent current college students and recent graduates, because it is set in you know roughly the present in 2017, mm-hmm. and I haven't been in college in 17 years, <laughs> so um, you know so I wanted to make sure that I was getting some you know getting my facts yeah. straight. Um, they gave me some good feedback like. No one wears khaki shorts anymore, Mary. <laughs> that's the one the important that stands thing. out. Yeah. Um, but what was really interesting about that was how much hadn't changed. Um, yeah, I thought Actually, that was unfortunate. A I, little. Yeah, it really is. And how much? I don't know. I guess things seem kind of worse culturally. Yeah. They said. Um, so. That was a conversation that I've already had with people who are, you know, yeah. of a of a younger generation than I am. And then I've I've talked to my uncle. My uncle grabbed an um, an advanced copy off my mom's counter and read it, yeah. <laughs> and then called me and said, "I can't believe this is what college is like now." <laughs> um, and was horrified because yeah. he said it just. He said, I was scared to kiss a girl when I was in college. (laughs) Well, do you think that his reaction would be different, like, than your mom's reaction in saying college is? My mom read it, and she did not express surprise at all. Yeah. So do you think maybe that one difference would be that maybe male and female older would be very different than male and female? Like, maybe younger male and female would be a little more like, oh, unfortunately that's happening, but maybe older would say. I think that that's would, interesting. It would be it'll be so fascinating. Yeah. I, I I can't wait oh. to hear people's reactions and kind of yeah. That's so interesting. That yeah, I've never really thought of it like that. So one person that I really liked, I mean I love them all, but I love Stasia's story because I mean it's not it's named privilege for a reason. It's not only about like a male privilege that you don't have or a white male privilege it's about like race and, and of course sex but um, class and so Stasia is not a student she's kind of seeing it from the outside and so it may take so many different forms like what was that like juggling different forms of privilege like how how did you choose <laughs> the different characters backstories I guess yeah the title privilege came to me right away okay so and I that was interesting because I 
I did not have that experience with my last novel. We worked for months to try to come yeah. up with the right title. But with this, I knew, I think I knew pretty much from the start that I wanted it to be an exploration of privilege through this story. And, and if I was going to do that, I knew I had to really examine it on a lot of different fronts. And so just, just on kind of like the level of, of facts, you know, I needed to create characters from various backgrounds so that I could so that I could include all of those facets. What I tried to do too though is include some of the less obvious or like apolitical kinds of privilege as well. So, you know, Stasia is like socioeconomically the worst off of the point of view characters, but she she has a really strong family bond. Like she's very close to her family and that's that's a, a big privilege, yeah. Like that that really has a big effect on her her life. Like that she has that love. Right. Whereas, you know, B is financially set but has recently lost her mother and doesn't know her father. So she feels kind of untethered, you know. So it's um, I wanted to complicate kind of the idea of how privilege is manifest in our lives and how we, you know, we maybe everybody probably has one way in which we're hyper privileged, and other ways in which we aren't. Right. So, obviously, a lot of um, knowledge of the legal system is needed for, like the, I have to say, sometimes infuriating language that's used in like the reports. There's a lot of language legal language around like what happens at this I guess trial is not the right word to use but this uh, action hearing and what they're going to do and if it even was a problem and so (laughs) what was that like writing you probably just had to research a lot of what schools are saying now right I went down a rabbit hole of (laughs) reading these these decisions and they're very um you know, you can imagine. They're hard to stop reading because they can be upsetting. They're also fascinating. You know, you like you mentioned a second ago how elusive consent is, and I think that really comes across in these decisions. Like, it just feels like a bunch of people feeling around in the dark to try to make sense of something that was just two people in a room, a lot of times drunk, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then people trying to put some kind of order on that and make sense of it and then issue some right. kind of decision. Um, so yeah, I did, I did a lot of research. I uh, read a lot about Title IX and a lot around the, the controversy with how these, how these cases are being dealt with on campuses. I um, had a friend from law school who, who represents students. So, so a lot of times um, students in these cases at schools will, will hire lawyers if they're able to. So they're, you know, they, a lot of the times they don't have representation, but sometimes they do, the ones who can afford it. Yeah. And I have a friend who represents students in these kinds of cases. So I, I spent a long time talking to her about what she sees and what she the problem she sees and sort of the, yeah, the issues that come up. Yeah. I mean, it's not, like, there are so many layers this. It's going to be great for book clubs because we've only scratched the surface of, like, everything. And in a way, it's really not cut and dry. There's just so much to talk about. And, you know, one person might read it and think something very different than another. Um, 
but like it's also about finding your voice you know you have these different women not only because something has happened to them but like B is like does she want to go this serious route or does she want to be in this improv troupe and um, like Stasia kind of standing up to her family in ways so I think there's just so much to unpack and I can't wait for everyone to read it we finally have finished books. Yay, they're so pretty. They're beautiful. I know. Um, so I think that's that's all I have for today. But please go check out the other episode of the podcast when you talk about when you read this and then read that too. But then also <laughs> you can get privilege um, early March. So thank you. Thank you, Lainey. This was fun. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.